Hello and welcome to the Datapod podcast, where we will be taking you behind the scenes of ADR Scotland, a partnership formed in 2018 between the Scottish Centre for Administrative Data Research, or SCADAR, and the Scottish Government. In our Datapod podcast, you hear from our leading academics, data scientists, and those involved in Scotland's public sector data in a range of areas from children, inequality, crime and justice, to nursing, social care, work and the environment. Our administrative data research aims to deliver data-driven insights to government, charities and communities to improve people's lives and benefit society. Whether you are a data expert or want to learn more about data, we are delighted that you've joined us and we hope you'll enjoy this podcast. Without further ado... Let's hear from today's guests. And welcome to the third podcast installment. I'm Renata Samulnik, SCADA Program Manager and your podcast chair. Today we will hear from two SCADA academics, Professor Chris Dibben and Dr. Laurie Berry, on how active commuting affects health. Hello, Renata. So I'm uh, Chris Dibben. I'm Professor of Health Geography at the University of Edinburgh, and I'm also Director of SCADA the Scottish Centre for Administrative Data Research. And I've been involved in using administrative data research for about 20 years now, so quite some time. Um, Hi, Renata. My name's Laurie. Um, I am um, a research fellow in SCADA and also based at uh, the School of Geosciences at the University of Edinburgh. And my background is in um, statistical epidemiology. Thank you both. Uh, We would also like to take this opportunity to thank our funders, ESRC, for their continued support for ADR Scotland programme. My first question is for Chris. Chris, could you tell us about the benefits of using administrative data for research and how it has the potential to impact policy? So perhaps I could uh, take that question the other way around and start with the policy. So when we're implementing policies, we're often asking people to change what they do, organisations to do things in different ways, and often investing millions of pounds. So it's really important to understand with that policy, whether it's going to work, what is its impact going to be? Is it going to be doing what we want it to do? And to do that, you need evidence. So evidence that the change in the policy will actually have an impact on society that you're expecting. Now, the way we do that is through research. Uh, Now, we can do that in a number of different ways. We might interview people, so people involved in the intervention, the people being affected by the policy. We might also carry out things like surveys to collect information. Now, those are all are really useful and have their place, but they can be very expensive to carry out. And also they need to have been carried out, implemented at the time of the policy to understand particularly what was happening before 
the policy change and what happened uh, afterwards. Now, these are all limitations. So the, the cost, the fact that you have to run the piece of research at the time uh, that the policy is changing. Now, administrative data has a, a number of benefits uh, and advantages over that. It's, first of all, I, perhaps I just uh, reiterate what administrative data is. That's information often collected by uh, public bodies as part of their routine functioning. So it's collected all the time. So that the, the, one of the first advantages is that uh, we can actually look at information around a policy that's happened in the past because we've already uh, collected the information. It's often very detailed so we can understand what's happening in terms of people's lives, perhaps in terms of people's health. So that can be very useful in understanding really what is the nature of change if the policies impacted it. And then finally, because it's collected all the time, it's routinely available. It doesn't involve a tremendous amount of extra cost. We don't need to send people out to collect the information uh, or interview people. So together then, this really provides a, a cost-effective, uh, efficient way of collecting information around policy. So we really know and help uh, understand what works. Thank you, Chris. Now let's talk about the commuting project. Laurie, can you tell us about the specific research questions the team wanted to answer and how research around mental health could influence policy and benefit society? Yes, well, um, in this project, we're particularly interested in whether commuting to work by bicycle affects mental health. And now there's a lot of research that suggests that physical activity has a positive effect on mental health, but how someone incorporates physical activity into their daily life might be really important. So active commuting, such as cycle commuting, could be an important way for individuals to increase or maintain their physical activity levels. And they could be more likely to sustain these levels if they can be incorporated into daily routines. And it's estimated that poor mental health costs the Scottish economy around 8.8 .8 billion pounds a year and a lot of that is down to lost productivity and that doesn't include personal costs such as those due to discrimination, social exclusion and stigmatization. So research around mental health interventions is really important from a policy perspective as globally governments are looking at how they can improve population mental health and interventions around cycling commuting could be extremely cost effective and have other benefits such as reducing carbon emissions, reducing congestion and air pollution, um, as well as the benefits of increasing physical activity and really contributing to a more livable city. Thank you, Laurie. Chris, what data sets were used in this project? We we we'll use some really interesting data sets uh, in this project. The first of all, to say that we just focused on Glasgow uh, and Edinburgh, and that's primarily because those are the big cities in Scotland where there's going to be a large population that might be commuting and will make, making various choices about how they commute to work. Also, we had to work out uh, where somebody lived and their distance to cycle paths. So that involved quite a lot of calculation using what's called geographical information systems, a bit like Google Maps, where we uh, look at the, the location of someone's home uh, and then estimate what's the quickest route they might take uh, and then work out from that the, the nearest cycle pathway. So that was a lot of calculation, so we could just do it for two places uh, in Scotland. Now, we had this wonderful uh, data set in the UK, the 
the, the census, which is this, everybody will have taken part in it. So you'll know that every 10 years we, we ask, a, are, are asked a lot of information uh, around our daily lives. Uh, and, and within that, you're asked about where you work uh, and uh, how you commute to work, including the really important question uh, for this study, whether you cycle to work. So the the 2011 census then was the uh, census that, that we could use. Uh, and what we did then is we linked that to a, a, a health data set because we're interested in in this particular study, the mental health um, effects of cycling to work. And this, the, the health data set we linked to was a, a, a very extensive data set held in Scotland uh, on prescribing. So whenever you prescribed a, a drug or medicine by your doctor, there's a record uh, kept of it. Uh, and in this case, we were particularly interested with prescribing by a, a doctor for people with mental ill health, and in particular, antidepressants and drugs to help people who are suffering from anxiety. So by looking at these two sets of medicines, then we could uh, understand uh, whether somebody was probably experiencing depression or uh, anxiety. And indeed, importantly for this question, whether they were more or less likely to be experiencing these uh, states. So what we're interested here then is that, is there a relationship between this prescribing for the uh, antidepressant drugs and uh, anti-anxiety and somebody's likelihood of uh, cycling or not? So with these data sets together then, the, the really important thing is the coverage of the Scottish population. Uh, so we had a large number of people within the population that we could study. So to examine this really important question uh, about whether uh, cycling might impact uh, someone's mental health. Thank you, Chris. Laurie, please can you tell us how you use distance from home to nearest cycle path to look at whether cycling to work affects antidepressant and anti-anxiety prescriptions? Well, in this work, uh, we used what is called an instrumental variable approach. And now, this is a difficult concept to explain without any diagrams and without any background knowledge of some other concepts, but I'm going to try and do my best. So firstly, I'll assume that our listeners have heard of randomised controlled experiments. So when a randomised experiment is conducted, the investigators control who gets a treatment and who doesn't. And if the investigators do this in a random way, then any difference in the outcome between those who get the treatment and those who don't is due then um, any effect is due to the treatment. If we were to do a randomised experiment to answer our research question, we would have to randomise employed people to either cycle to work or not cycle to work, and then observe their mental health prescriptions over a period of time to see if they were different between the two groups. And this would be likely um, to be very expensive and time consuming and difficult to implement across the whole population. And that's really where administrative data is going to come into its own. So an instrumental variable analysis is a way of attempting to mimic a randomised controlled experiment in observational data using statistics and the specific characteristics of the instrumental variable, but without us being able to randomise anything. And there are several assumptions that we have to make when we're using this method, and I'm not going to go into those, but we believe that distance from home to the nearest psychopath is a random variable that has a strong influence on whether an individual cycles to work or doesn't. And it doesn't have an effect 
on whether they um, would have an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication prescription. The only effect that it would have would go through whether they would whether they cycle to work or not. And compared to more traditional regression analyses, instrumental variables account for any variables that cause both the exposure, so cycling to work, and the outcome, the antidepressant or anti-anxiety prescriptions, whether they are observed or unobserved. And when we use a regression analysis, we actually have to assume that we've accounted for everything that affects our exposure and our outcome so that we can calculate a re reliable effect estimate. But that's rarely ever the case. So an instrumental variable approach is, is really strong under this um, circumstance. Thank you. Could you explain your findings further? Um, yes, so um, we found that psychocommuting is associated with a lower number of prescriptions for antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, and that's really a great start um, as it adds to the evidence from other research uh, which reports on the other health benefits of psychocommuting. And along with this, the strength of using an instrumental variable analysis, we also did um, analysis with a negative control outcome, as well as the traditional regression analysis. And they all add weight to our findings and really strengthen everything. And hopefully that will translate into policy change to increase bicycle commuting uptake once the work is published. My final questions, question to you, Laurie, is what are the main barriers to active commuting? Um, so this isn't really something that we can answer directly from our research, but we can say that from this work, we know that those uh, people who live closer to a psychopath are more likely to cycle and that that is generally more true for women than for men. And from our knowledge of the literature and the work of others, we know that road and personal safety or perceptions of safety are a barrier to cycling, along with things such as access to secure bicycle parking and showers in the workplace. And a recent survey in Edinburgh reported residents want more facilities to support cycling, uh, for example, traffic-free routes, um, routes physically separated from other vehicles and pedestrians, and better signposted quiet routes and improved link up with public transport. So really our research combined with the information from, from other studies can, could really, you know, combine to, to impact policy. Thank you, Laurie. Chris, to conclude our conversation today, what is next for this project? Yeah, well, we're really excited uh, about the, the findings so far. So what one obvious thing for us to do next is to look beyond mental health. Obviously, that was our initial uh, health outcome of interest. But cycling is proposed to affect uh, other aspects of health, in particular things based on your cardiovascular health, so your heart health or your risk of stroke, but, but also other really important population diseases like type 2 diabetes. So a natural next step for us would be to use the same study design which has worked very successfully to look at these uh, uh, outcomes. So really we can say with the increased confidence we can with this type of research design whether cycling seems to also affect these other important uh, diseases. Uh, I guess the, the next thing to say is that uh, we've just had uh, a recent census in Scotland. Now interestingly this has just come after the Covid pandemic where a lot of people's uh, life uh, styles change, particularly their relationship to work. People are now working more from home uh, and also like many places around the world, both Edinburgh and Glasgow had quite a focus 
during the, the pandemic on um, increasing people's physical activity, particularly in Edinburgh, looking at making cycling safer and easier. So increasing the, the number of cycle lanes uh, on roads and indeed it, all part of a wider policy that included uh, reducing the speed limits in parts of the city to 20 miles an hour. Uh, again, uh, a policy particularly designed at making it safer uh, and easier to cycle. So as soon as that data is available, then it'll be a natural thing for us to then explore the uh, impact of those type of policies and the great change in our society uh, after the COVID pandemic on uh, cycling, but then also to look at further the, the, the health effects. Uh, I guess a, a final thing we might do uh, would be to look not just at cycling as a form of active uh, commuting, but also walking uh, and particularly maybe walking and its exposure to things like nature, so green space, which is another important factor that's been shown to have health benefits. So whether you walk to work and whether that walk involves uh, ex exposing yourself to parks and woods uh, and other forms of uh, green space. So we're not going to, we're going to have to be very busy uh, in the near future as we further explore this really interesting uh, area of research. Thank you, Chris. It has been great to hear about this research and the benefits of using administrative data. I do hope it will encourage more people to cycle or take up other forms of active commuting. Thank you very much, Chris and Laurie. Thank you to our listeners, and I hope you enjoyed this next installment of our podcast.